Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, Invisible Friend, April here, and the date today is November 28th, 2022. Welcome to Episode 155 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, Mars revisits a past trine to Saturn and a choice. Mercury opposes Mars and sextiles Saturn. The first quarter moon shows tension between wanting to forge ahead but being restrained by a lack of experience. Venus aspects Mars, Saturn, and Neptune, and Neptune stations direct. Plus, I answer a listener question about what is the right place to use for calculating your solar return chart. Let's begin with the moon report for the week of November 28th and a first quarter moon in Pisces on November 30th at 6.36 a.m. Pacific time at 8 degrees and 21 minutes of Pisces and Sagittarius. Now, whenever I travel, I always feel a little bit as though I'm under siege. I mean, I really love to travel. I actually love to see new things and get a change of scenery. But whenever I'm traveling, I'm living in a constant fear of losing things or leaving them behind. I'm always moving too fast and I'm in unfamiliar surroundings. And this makes me feel like I'd lose my head if it wasn't fastened on. Now, the sun is in its Sagittarius season. And that's a time that's suited to taking leaps of faith and exploring new opportunities and new places. Sagittarius is the wanderer, the traveler. And as the moon moves into its first quarter in Pisces, having too many moving parts, you know, too many things changing at once can really kind of knock us off our pins. The Sabian symbol for this quarter moon is a jockey, and it symbolizes the urge to move ahead swiftly and with confidence. But the sun is on nine degrees Sagittarius, a mother and her child on the stairs, and I get the vision of a mother carefully instructing her child on how to climb one step at a time without getting hurt. So this first quarter moon is giving us the urge to move ahead instinctively, to take a step forward. This is the action time of the lunar cycle. But this particular first quarter comes with a little bit of a warning to err on the side of caution and to not do what can't be undone. This first quarter moon is the first action point in the lunar phase family that began with the March 2nd, 2022 new moon in Pisces. So anything that you might have been conceptualizing then, thinking about doing, envisioning, now that we've gotten three quarters of the year under our belt, it's time to take an action, take some decisive step, towards that very Piscean dream that was conceived at that particular new moon. Let's look at the Void of Course moon periods for this week. 
On November 28th, the moon in Aquarius makes a conjunction with Saturn at 10.53 p.m. Pacific time. And then it's void, of course, for an exceptionally long 17 hours before it enters Pisces on November 29th at 4.15 p.m. Now, there is an old saying that we have to know the rules before we can break them. This long void, of course, moon period features the moon in Aquarius. And that's a very contradictory sign. Its modern ruler is Uranus, which is a very revolutionary rule-breaking planet. But the traditional planetary ruler of Aquarius is Saturn. And this is the last contact before the moon goes void, of course. So I think we're leaning a little bit more during the 17-hour period on the Saturn part of Aquarius. What is it that we're building for the future? And how might we have to learn more discipline or gain more strength in order to make that happen? On December 1st, the moon in Pisces makes a conjunction with Jupiter at 6.44 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for just about two hours before it enters Aries at 8.41 p.m. And what a pleasant void, of course, period. It's a little short, but Jupiter ruled moon in Pisces, coming together with Jupiter all on a Thursday, Jupiter's day. And the first part of it is even during Jupiter's hour. It's just Jupiter coming out our ears. There is no better moment to count our blessings. I was a bit embarrassed recently to realize just how much generosity and support has come my way throughout my life when I'm always fixated on Saturn and what's been difficult. We can always choose to find the silver lining in the darkest cloud. And this is a void, of course, period that's just right for contemplating that. Finally, on December 3rd, the moon in Aries makes a square aspect to Pluto at 9.46 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for just under six hours before it enters Taurus on December 4th at 3.38 a.m. You'll get a chance to practice counting your blessings, which was the lesson of that previous void, of course, moon period. During this particular void period, the moon in Aries makes it square with Pluto before settling in for the six-hour void period. Be on the lookout, as always with an aspect like this, for feelings of frustration and guilt and shame. Take a moment to acknowledge those feelings and then ask this question. It's something I heard on a podcast, and I'm sorry to say I remember neither the podcast nor the person who said it, but it has really helped me a lot in recent months. When you find yourself thinking back on your past behaviors and maybe wincing a little bit at what you did wrong or what you didn't do right, ask yourself, What was I trying to learn from that? Showing a little compassion for ourselves can help us show more compassion for others as well. On November 28th at 9.56 a.m. Pacific time, 
Mars makes a trine aspect to Saturn. Now that Mars is retrograde in Gemini, it's revisiting aspects that it's made previously. Mars previously made a trine to Saturn on September 27th, and then it will make a third aspect in this series on March 30th, 2023, just after Mars has slipped into Cancer. Mars is at 19 degrees and 42 minutes of Gemini on the Sabian symbol 20 Gemini, a cafeteria. It symbolizes an embarrassment of choices. So to some extent, this is about revisiting a past choice or decision, maybe. Now, Saturn is at 19 degrees and 42 minutes of Aquarius on the Sabian symbol 20 Aquarius, a big white dove a message bearer. And the trine from Mars to Saturn on the symbol of conviction gives a chance to finish up something we started in late September so that we can give our all to something new in March. November 29th, Mercury makes two aspects, an opposition to Mars and a sextile to Saturn. Mercury is on the Sabian symbol, 20 Sagittarius, men cutting through ice. And while Mercury is not usually considered to be at its very best in Sagittarius because it's in the sign of its detriment, it does have a quality of I know what I know that can be kind of helpful just now. Mercury opposes Mars at 12.30 p.m. at 19 degrees and 18 minutes of Sagittarius and Gemini, and Mars is still on that cafeteria Sabian symbol. We're trying to choose from among various options to find just one that we can really get behind. Mercury here is helping us cut through the ice, cut to the chase, and choose something. Then at 8.18 p.m., Mercury is sextile Saturn. And the choice that became evident to us as Mercury was opposed Mars is now seen as a choice that's a starting point, a starting point to take some constructive action. And that's how we need to look at it. We will fine-tune all of this in March when Mars is direct and makes its final trine to Saturn. Mercury here is the connector that is kind of facilitating a conversation here between Mars and Saturn and moving us in the direction of a choice that is really going to lead to something productive. November 30th, Venus opposes Mars at 9.28 p.m. Pacific Time at 18 degrees 47 minutes of Sagittarius and Gemini. This is a midpoint in the Venus-Mars cycle that began back on March 5th of 2022 with the conjunction at zero degrees and one minute of Aquarius. 
Venus-Mars cycles are connected, of course, to relationship dynamics. And the opposition aspect is inherently one that is about relating. So what we'll be seeing this week as we get the opposition is, what are we seeing about important others in our lives that we might not have noticed before? And since Mars is still retrograde, this could be a time of reviewing past relationships or past moments in current relationships for clues as to how those moments, those relationships are impacting current ones. Now, Venus is also related to money matters, and Mars is related to work. So this could be a time of examining the role of money in your life. Venus in the sign of Sagittarius tends to value freedom over money, or it values money mostly to the extent that it provides freedom. Mars in Gemini, as it's retrograde, is looking to past work situations or skills that were learned sometimes years ago and bringing them into the present to make our current work more interesting and fulfilling and potentially more lucrative as well. On December 1st, Mercury squares Neptune at 5.08 p.m. Pacific time, and Venus makes a sextile to Saturn at 7.09 p.m. Mercury, whenever it's an aspect to Neptune, but especially hard aspect, is about struggling to determine what is true. And with Mercury being in Sagittarius, it also gives the impulse to speak out. Often when Mercury is connecting with Neptune, there is a tendency not to speak our minds or to not ask questions because we're afraid we really might not like the answer. But this is not the case when Mercury is in Sagittarius because it is a very frank sign. And as it's in a contentious aspect in Neptune, it really is about that moment when we say, hmm, No, something doesn't add up here, and I'm going to speak out about it. Venus makes a sextile to Saturn, and sextiles always bring an opportunity or a message or an invitation. And here, that invitation is about making something pleasurable into something that lasts. A sextile does not compel us. It just gives the opportunity perhaps brings a person into our orb that is really interesting. And we think, if I made a little bit of an effort, maybe I could get to know this person. And it could be a consequential kind of relationship, whether it's personal or whether it's related to business. It can be something that could really be important and could really last. Now, a sextile, again, doesn't really compel us, so we can let the moment pass and not take advantage of it. Nothing terrible happens. But be on the lookout this week for these kinds of opportunities, because they don't come by every day.
Then on December 3rd, there are two Neptune-related transits. Neptune turns direct at 4.15 p.m. Pacific time at 22 degrees and 38 minutes of Pisces. And Venus squares Neptune at 11.12 p.m. So Neptune's been retrograde since June 27th. And it is turning direct on this very intriguing Sabian symbol, 23 Pisces, a materializing medium. I always think that the slower moving planets, when they're retrograde, tend to be experienced as almost acting in a way opposite their usual mode. So Neptune can ordinarily, when it's direct, be the planet that puts us in touch with the higher spiritual and artistic expression of things, but also because it impels us to want to look for beauty and to want to look for the best in other people and in situations, it can mean that we have rose-colored glasses and we're not always making decisions based on reality. That has its pluses and its minuses. When Neptune's retrograde, I think we're a little more tuned in on an internal level to what's going on and get strong intuitions about people or situations that we may pay more attention to. But now as Neptune turns direct again, it's time to put those rose-colored glasses back on and see people and opportunities in the sweetest possible light. On the same day, Venus squares Neptune. And under this kind of transit, we're often disillusioned about relationships or financial matters or some combination of the two. Someone might prove to be different or less than we thought. Money or big purchases don't necessarily bring the satisfaction that we expected them to. So it's a big Neptune day. I would mark this one on your calendar and watch for messages small or large about this kind of disconnect between what you thought something would be and what it's ended up being. This is a final action point in the Venus-Neptune cycle that began with their conjunction on April 27th. Then they made an opening square to each other on July 13th and the opposition on September 24th. At the opposition, we saw what was going on very clearly. And the last square in the sequence is about making adjustments, fine-tuning, changing the ways that you're acting based on what you've learned in the cycle up to now. In this week's listener question, listener Dina writes, I've got a question about solar returns. I've heard that if you're in a different location on your birthday, that the solar return is based on that location rather than the place where you currently live. Which do you prefer? That's a really good question, Dina, and I get it a lot. 
And we can add one more option too, which is that some astrologers prefer to calculate the solar return based on your birthplace. Now, philosophically, I could make an argument for any one of these options. The sun returning to its natal position at the place of your birth makes sense in that this would follow the sun's natural cycle of 365.25 days. And there is something very poetic about the idea that each year the sun returning to that spot, just like the swallows returning to Capistrano, has this kind of symbolic resonance. Now, the sun returning to the place where you spend your birthday, in other words, coming back to the exact degree, sign, and minutes and seconds that it was added to birth, where you spend your birthday does make some sense because that's where you are experiencing this very powerful moment in the solar cycle. Here, it would be important to remember that the moment the sun returns, can occur within a couple days, either side of your birthday. So you would need to calculate in advance to know exactly where you would be at the moment of the return. Or, of course, calculate after the fact when you know where you were. Some people like to use this method because they feel it's a way of kind of outwitting what looks like a difficult solar return chart by getting a different wheel in a new place because you can't outwit the planetary sign placements or aspects. They're going to be what they're going to be regardless of where you are. But you can certainly put the planets in different houses. And I know there are people who swear by this method. And then finally, the sun returning to the place where you currently live and spend most of your time during the year makes a lot of sense for the same reason a relocation chart makes sense. The idea is that we are influenced and impacted by the place where we live, and it serves as an important reference point. Now, I have looked at all three solar return charts for key years in my own life, And I have come down firmly on using the place where you currently live to calculate your solar return chart. That was always the chart among the three that really best described that year for me. The runner-up was the chart for the place where I was born. But although a lot of the same themes would come up, The birth location chart was a lot more subtle, kind of oblique, whereas the solar return chart cast for the place where I live kind of shouted the important issues. The chart calculated for the place where I spent my birthday on those occasions that was different from either of those really didn't reflect my experience of the solar return year at all. But it did seem to describe the actual birthday pretty well. So that's been my experience. And as always, I encourage you, Dina, and everybody listening to play with this yourself, especially if you can remember years when you spent your birthday far from your home or your place of birth. It can be really interesting to calculate that year's solar return chart for all three places. 
and really see which ones seem to describe that year the best. I usually stop short of saying that any one technique or any one approach in astrology is the one and only good one. You know, whether it's which house system to use to calculate your chart or something like this, I believe we can get information from a chart cast in any house system or a solar return chart cast for any of these three locations, that they're a little bit like a lens that we'd put on a camera. And your preferred lens might be different from mine. Well, I hope that helps, Dina. And if you, dear listener, have a question that you'd like me to answer on a future episode, leave a voice message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast, or you can just email me april at bigskyastrology.com and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. that is everything I have on my show sheet. So I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice. Ratings and reviews are welcome. And I would love it if you'd help spread the word by telling a friend about the podcast. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thank you very much to everyone who's shown support for the podcast over the past year, including during the recent Podathon. Each week, I'm thanking some of you by name. This week, let's give a big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Karen Gibbons and Christina de Rochemont. Karen and Christina, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you enjoy the show and would like to make a donation, and if you'd like to receive my bonus donors-only episodes for the upcoming Capricorn Solstice, Aries Equinox, and Cancer Solstice, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com and donate $10 or more. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes. And please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.